It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I'm, I'm ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But you were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense. I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you, you are healed. That, that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. That makes two of us. <laughs> how long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Some one else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? <laughs> he performs miracles and seeks no credit? What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I. I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. I have to be home to prepare for Shabbat, as I'm sure you do. So mean that you're even hosting Shabbat dinner. It will be nothing like yours, I'm sure of that. But I'm going to try. Shabbat Shalom, Nicodemus. Shabbat Shalom. one way and now I am completely different and the thing that happened in between was him does that resonate with anybody this morning can somebody just remind yourself what God has done for one of my favorite scriptures and I have a lot of my favorite scriptures but one of my favorite is is every time I begin to recognize what God has done and or what he is doing there's a scripture in the Old Testament that pops into my head, and it's like God is looking down and smirking at me. The scripture is, I am the Lord, thy God, and I am able to do much more than this. In other words, if you were impressed by that, wait until you see what happens next. That is the beauty of this journey that we have as we follow Jesus and truly seek the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say when he began to reveal himself as the son of God? Well, for the last two weeks, we've looked at Matthew's interpretation or Matthew's memory of what Jesus said. He said that Jesus came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark takes it a little bit 
deeper. He, he says it a little bit more specifically. In Mark chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, Now after John, this is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was arrested by Herod. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, that is the good news, okay, the gospel of God. He said this, the time is fulfilled. And remember, everything that you read in Scripture was 2,000 years ago, and nothing has changed except for us. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent, and Mark likes to hone in on this word. You will see this throughout his gospel, and believe believe. I'm going to come back and explain exactly what that means in a little while. In the gospel, the gospel is what Isaiah prophesied, what Jesus confirmed. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. I came to declare, to proclaim, to preach the good news. Hear me. The gospel that Jesus came to proclaim was not about religion. We need to understand that specifically in this society, in this culture. The gospel that Jesus left his throne in heaven on behalf had nothing to do with religion and rules because the Jews were good at religion and rules. They already had Judaism. They already had stagnant, synchronized religious rules. Jesus Christ left his throne came down, made himself a little lower than the angels, was obedient unto death, even death on a cross, so that he could have relationship, individual relationship with anyone who will. That's why he came, so that we could individually repent and believe. I want to open today with a little bit of a cliche. It wouldn't be a cliche in any other culture in the world. But specifically in the Southern Bible Belt, this is a cliche. And you've probably heard it before, but you're going to understand how evident it is today. This is the cliche. You ready? I'm not even going to yell it. I'm just going to say it. The gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. In fact, the turn of the millennium revolved around the gospel. Like... It was before Christ, and now it is after. Our calendar, our culture, whether they admit it or not, was changed and transformed by the gospel. We no longer adhere to throwing babies who were not male off of a cliff because of the gospel. We no longer adhere to taking a child that wasn't born with all of their fingers and tossing them into the ocean and calling it okay because of the gospel. But I want you to notice, the further our country has gotten from the kingdom of God, the closer they have come to becoming just like that culture. And now we are willing, if we don't want, to do whatever it takes to have. The gospel, it goes against the grain. This isn't in your notes. You just have to kind of sense this one with me. The gospel goes against the grain of anything less than God's absolute best. Again, religion, Judaism, rules, regulations, relationship. The gospel will offend everything inside of you. Why? Because the kingdom and culture have always been at odds. What God is calling you to, hear me, what God is calling you to and what you want to do is going to be in conflict incessantly. The way you want to live and the way he wants you to live is going to be incessantly conflicting. The gospel goes against the grain. Now, my wife brought me this this morning, and some people were looking at her funny when she came in with a neon green and black razor. It's cool when it's neon green and black. That's all I need to say about that. She came in. Now, some of you, you're very familiar. Um, some of you need to become more familiar. Okay? 
You're too prickly. You need to use this. <laughs> my dad, or my stepdad, when I, was, when I had just peach fuzz before this glorious facial hair that God has gained me so favorably with, when I just had peach fuzz and a few stray hairs, my dad said, boy, you need to get that mess off of your face. Now, some of you may think you need to get that mess off of your face. I don't care what you think. I care what she thinks. And she likes this on my face. So on my face, it shall stay. But my, <laughs> my daddy and stepdaddy, they taught me when I first began to shave, you need to take this razor and you just need to go with the grain. Okay? Because it was just peach fuzz. And they didn't want me to, you know, slice my throat open. So go, go with the grain. But as I began to age and, and as, as, as more growth began to occur, there was a day when my dad said, oh, you're not, you're not shaving right. And I was like, what are you, shaving the way you told me to shave? He said, no, 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 you got to turn that thing over because it's got to go against the grain in order to completely shear what should not be growing. The gospel goes against the grain. In fact, it irritates. If, if you want to be as clean as God created you to be, then the gospel of Jesus is going to go against the grain of what is currently growing. And by the way, most of the time, God comes around and what he uses feels more like this. Now, I don't use these very often. I normally call people that do. I don't own one. I had to borrow this. And they gave me one that plugs in because so I didn't accidentally crank it, you know. I'm like, ah, you know. <laughs> but, but this, I don't know if you've ever nicked your arm or leg or I know some people that did that didn't turn out very well. I don't know if, if you've ever fought one of these, but this is not the most comfortable process. Like the father, as John describes, coming with the shears and pruning off of you what doesn't belong so that the wrong things are removed and the right things begin to grow, that is an irritating and uncomfortable process. But that's what the gospel does. That is what the kingdom of God looks like. And I believe Although, hear me, the gospel doesn't normally feel good. The pruning doesn't normally feel good. Going against the grain is normally more irritating. And the sense that you have in that moment may not be good. It is always for the good. That's what God wants to do. Why? Because we have seen this year and two years ago, not so much last year because, you know, we had the church building closed during Easter. But we've seen, I've seen over the years, so many people come to Easter resurrection services. Why are we making this so simple? Why, is, why are we trying to make this so practical? Because I don't want to just see people come to resurrection services. I want to see you live a resurrected life. What does that look like? Well, John gives us an example in his epistle. First John, again, same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, the Apostle in the book of Revelation. He's, the subtitle given by scholars of this section of Scripture is called Living in the Light. He says this in verse 5. Read, look, at, look along with me. The message... We heard from Jesus. Okay, real quick, side note, wake the person up next to you. Um, this is important because what John is saying right here, what John is saying is not a secondhand testimony. What John is writing, that's why when people ask me, what, 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 what should I read? I said, Gospel of John. Well, I, I've done that before. Okay, go to first, second, third and read, read it really slowly. Because what John has to say is not somebody else's story. It's a first-hand account. Why? Because Jesus was not a legend. He was Lord. 
Resurrected spirits don't eat fish after they were resurrected. Resurrected bodies need something to eat. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, died in the flesh, and was resurrected in everything that God created him to be. And John recognized this. This is the message. He's saying, hey, this is the gospel. You ready? God is light. God is light. There's no, there's no discussion, no debate. He's, he's just adamant. This is who he is. And hang on, because this is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to go against the grain a little bit. In him, there is no darkness at all. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 says, So we are lying. It seems like John is like a mad preacher or something. Like he's writing, he's, he's like thinking about somebody right now, you know, when he's writing this letter. So we are, we're lying. In other words, we may as well go outside after service, point in the air, and call God a liar. That's intense. Like John's having a moment. We're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. In other words, if we say we believe in the resurrected Savior, then we should be living a resurrected life. Now, one version says habitual sin. If you go read through, I noticed this a few years back when I was reading through the book of Leviticus and, and Numbers. I kept noticing this phrase, if someone sins unintentionally. Go look, Leviticus chapter 4, verse 2. You can go look up the word unintentionally in the original Hebrew. And you'll see that in Leviticus 15, Leviticus 22. You see it several times in the book of Numbers. If someone sins unintentionally. Then the, then the book begins to describe the sacrifice and the process that they should go through for cleansing. But I want you to notice something. There was never a sacrifice for a habitual, intentional, willful sinner. In fact, the author of Hebrews, as a divine echo, says this. If you continue in your sin, you trample underfoot the Son of God again, and there no longer remains a sacrifice left for you. See, Scripture goes in the face of a lot of people's sermons. And the gospel doesn't feel good, but it's always for the good. You can't say you have fellowship with God and continue in sin. Why? We are not practicing the truth. So it's not that you won't stumble. It's not that you won't make a mistake. But any point that you go, well, God understands. And then you just continue willfully, intentional, without regard. You just continue to sin. You're in a dangerous place. Instead of practicing the truth. So watch this. I believe, although I don't serve a father that is about performance, I do believe I serve a father that is about practicing. Because I would rather practice the truth here than be punished for the lies there. So you're either, being, you're either practicing or ultimately you're being punished. Verse 7 if we are, this is the good news. Remember, the gospel is good news. Take a breath. <sighs> the gospel is good news. If, if we are living in the light, as God is in, as we in the light, as he is in the light. Sorry, see, that was like the cheesy Christian stuff. It was like the only cool song back in the day whenever I was trying to listen to Christian music. Was that George of Clay? I don't know. If he is in the light, God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. By the way, I want you to notice that John doesn't take the time to designate somebody's ethnicity or skin tone or demographic background or socioeconomic status. In other words, when you come into him, you have one color and it's red. It's called the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses you from all sin. It doesn't even matter what color their tattoos are. <laughs> 
in him, in him, you're cleansed from all sin. Not just the sin of your past, but the sin of your present and the sins that you were about to commit in your future. So you remember who you were so that you continue in who you are. Verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. We're not living in the truth. Claim we have no sin. Well, I'm a good guy. No, no, no. You're sinful. (laughs) And your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Jesus came to shed his blood, to pay for the sin. Not so that we could have a great service at Easter and call ourselves saved until next year. He's faithful if we confess. Verse 9, if we confess. And by the way, the Bible says very clearly, to him. Like you can come and confess to me if you have something against me or if you did something to me or if I did something to you. And then we can offer one another forgiveness. But, but if you come to confess to me or anybody else in my position and or any other leader, I just want to blatantly say, according to Scripture, that person can't forgive you. Why? Because they didn't pay for your sin. I can't forgive something. I can't forgive a debt I didn't pay for. You can go confess all you want to to whomever you want to. And they can offer forgiveness if you did something to them. But when it comes to him, they can't pay a debt that came from him. Only he can pay the debt that came from him. And he can't forgive because only he paid. So, again, good news. If we confess to him, he's faithful. He's just to forgive our sin. And watch this. Not to just kind of cleanse us. And we go out like a, a semi-not-as-dirty version of ourselves the next day. No, no, no. He cleanses us from all wickedness. So, like, we go out transformed. People that used to know us don't recognize us anymore. Why? Because the gospel changes everything. Verse 10 But if we claim we have not sinned, if we just start going through the motions, we're calling God a liar, pointing our finger in his face, maybe not with our words, but with our attitude and our actions. We're calling God a liar, and we're showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Let's learn some more from the story of Nicodemus. I don't know where to start. I have so many questions. Shall we sit first? Oh, yes, of course. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that is what must be reborn to new life. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, How can I tell you heavenly things? 
I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Have you ever heard anything like this before? Shh. When I met Lilith, Mary, that day, I told my wife and my students that she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. The healer. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. in the Sanhedrin. You have family. You are getting advanced in years. <laughs> I understand. But the invitation is still open. The invitation to what exactly? <laughs> to lead a nomadic life? To, to give up who I am? It's true. There is a lot you would give up. But what you would gain is far greater and more lasting. Think about it. Hmm? Take your time. On the morning of the fifth day, we leave and we'll meet by the well in the southern quarter at dawn. The Bible says early on in John chapter 3 that, that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. See, Nicodemus was, he was only willing to live for Jesus when it was convenient for him to live for Jesus. He was only willing to come to Jesus in secret, in, in safety. But was he willing to live for Jesus out loud? Was he willing to live for Jesus uh, when nobody else was looking at his phone? Was he willing to, to not watch at his house what he wouldn't watch on these TVs in this worship center? Well, was he willing? <laughs> was he willing to not say in a moment of frustration what he would not have said in a moment of sanctification? Was he willing to believe? This is the essence of John chapter 3. If you will, skip down with me to, to verse 18. We mostly know verse 16. It's John 3, 16. If you don't know that one, ask your neighbor. Right one. So go ahead and work on that one this week. And, uh, but, then, but then verse 17 actually says, For the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world. Like for you, you, so, so you shouldn't walk around in condemnation. Why? Because Paul said there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the Son of Man didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save. 
to save, like to set you free from your former self. For you to not just be born of blood and water, but to be born again of the Spirit. And so in verse 18, Jesus continues in this conversation with Nicodemus at night. We'll call him Nick at night. (laughs) Some of the 50 and over just woke up. It's good stuff. To watch a Nick at night? Oh, I like them. Okay. (laughs) It says this in verse 18, whoever believes in him. Now watch this. Let's replace this with whoever believes in a boat. All right? Because this word believes is the same word that Mark was using, and it's the same word that Paul would use in the New Testament when he says, without this, it is impossible to please God. This word is pistuo. It's faith. It doesn't just mean to, like, agree with. Now, I know there are very few people in the room who would say, no, I don't believe in God. There's very few people in our culture, in our society, who say, I don't believe in God. There are a few, and if that's you, that's okay. Hang in here with me. But there are very few of us sitting in this room who say, no, I believe Jesus is a liar. I believe Jesus is a lunatic. I believe Jesus was a legend. Most of the people that I deal with, again, being raised in North Louisiana, spending time in ministry in Arkansas, East Texas, just the Bible Belt South, and now pastoring here in Eunice, most people would say, well, yeah, I believe in God, but do you? According to Scripture, because this word doesn't mean to agree with. It means to entrust in. Remember the ladder? I didn't want to bring it back out because we've already done that. But I want you to imagine, like, you're on the shore, you're looking at a boat, and these boats aren't in a sea, like, it's not pretty, like Hawaii, like, where if you fall in, it's okay. This is the bayou, baby. (laughs) You're going to go to the other side, and you're in your good clothes, and it's the bayou. There's snakes on the bayou, okay? Not me. I better believe in that thing. In other words, I don't just believe the boat can take me to the other side. I'm going to entrust. I'm putting myself in the boat. And now I'm in the boat. The boat is holding me. The boat is carrying me. I better believe the boat will carry me to the other side. That's what Christianity is like. That if you don't follow Jesus, you don't entrust in him in your finances, in your time, If you don't entrust in him, in your effort, in the way that you serve, what offends you? Does the kingdom offend you or does the culture offend you? Get in the boat because whoever's not in the boat, whoever doesn't believe is already condemned. That's what Jesus is telling this Pharisee, this religious person, this person that has all the rules right but has no relationship. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19, a little heavy. You ready? And this is the judgment. Remember, our God is an all-consuming fire. Yeah, he's a father. He's holy. He's perfect. And he is love, but he is also just. Perfectly holy. So this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, says Jesus to Nicodemus, and people love the darkness rather than the light. I had a pastor tell me this one time, an old preacher, maybe, I don't even remember if he said it to me or if he said it in a sermon, but he said that, you know the reason that you continue to willfully sin? Because you love your sin more than you love your Savior. See, if you didn't love your sin more than you loved your Savior, then you wouldn't keep sinning. You would continue in your Savior instead of continuing in your sin, but you can't do both, so you have to love that more than you love Him. Come on, but when you learn to love Him, when you stop continuing with that which you know is going to destroy you and leads unto death, and you lean into Him, trust not in your own understanding, but acknowledge Him in all your ways, He will make your path straight. So by loving Him, you leave your sin. You don't just stop sinning. Come on. You start being saved. That's the beauty of the relationship. He starts honing and he starts pruning if you'll just abide. Verse 20 says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light. 
loves their sin more than they love their Savior, does not come. Pastor Blaine said, come. This was the one word he heard today, come. How many of you are supposed to come? How many of you have been supposed to come? But you would rather be comfortable than come. For everyone who comes to the light, if you don't, your works are going to be exposed, either in this earth or in eternity. It will happen. Exposure is going to come. And by the way, the enemy likes to expose people at the greatest level of influence. He will wait until it will hurt you the worst. So you may think you're getting away with it. No, no, no. The devil is just building up. You're not getting away with it. The condemnation that comes by not coming to the light. But this is the gospel. Verse 21, whoever does what is true comes, comes to the light. And it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I want you to know this. I believe this. This is what carries me. You were created to live in the light. John said in the opening chapter of the gospel, as Jesus came into the world, and he came into the world, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You were created by God for God. There's one step that most of us need to take, and we have to take it often. We have to take it daily. That step is out of darkness into light. Not, not better behavior, not cleaner versions of our former fallen selves. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stepping into Jesus, in him who can cleanse, in him who can deliver, in him who can save, in him who will lead you into places that you would have never gone and be around people that you would have never been around. But you have to leave the former in order to receive and follow. It's part of the process you were created. See, I, I believe we're supposed to spend every waking moment examining whether we are in the light or the darkness. Is that desire light or darkness? Is that decision light or darkness? Is that obedience or disobedience light or darkness? Man, I, and I look, I used to sit right where you are. And I still do at times. And I listen to these preachers like, there's no way they're doing that. No, I'm telling you, we have to. Well, that's good for him. It's just not realistic for me. I would sit and I would listen to a sermon like, man, that is unrealistic. As if God graded on a curve in this culture. You know, because we're exposed to so much more than they were. No, no, hang on. It may be, it may be unrealistic, but it's not unbiblical. See, what it actually is, is uncultural. What it actually is, is un-American. What it actually is, is unlike anybody else. It's more like the few than it is like the crowd. We have a choice, light or darkness.
This should be everyone. Everyone's here? Yes, this is all of us. Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall. Simon is correct. Let's go. <laughs> Nicodemus went through what every single one of us go through. When our Christianity begins to cost us something, when your Christianity begins to cost you relationships, when your Christianity begins to cost you some popularity, man, when your Christianity begins to cost you a moment of sin, a desire, like when that cross gets heavy. Now, I know some of the things in that scene were not specifically in scripture. They were extra biblical. They weren't necessarily unbiblical, but I do believe what we see Nicodemus struggling with was very likely just as we struggle like am I gonna choose this culture the culture of my home the culture of my high school the culture of my campus the culture of my workplace the culture of my city the surrounding area am I gonna choose the culture of my family extended my friends that I really don't want to lose where I'm going to answer the call of God because kingdom and culture will always be at odds. Listen, hear me. What I want and what God wants will always more than likely feel like this at first. It always goes against the grain. And that this is what Nicodemus was going through. Why would you say that? Because I believe that Jesus met Nicodemus right where he was. If you look at John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, Jesus appeals to what Nicodemus knows. Jesus related to him. He says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now this, this stood out to Nicodemus because he was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of Pharisees. He would have recognized this passage. He knew this scripture. Come on, he knew the Pentateuch. He knew the first five books of the Bible. This was the Torah. This was the law. This man is quoting the law. So Jesus meets him right where he is and, and, and acknowledges what he knows. As Moses lifted up the serpent, I'll be lifted up. The Son of Man will be lifted up. Why? Because Jesus had to become a serpent in order to pay for the sin. And he had to shed his blood in order to cleanse from the original sin, which was not disobedience by man, but pride by the devil. That's why we get stuck in it so easily. But, verse 15, whoever believes, remember in trust, goes all in, not almost, not so close. I think my bride said it best. Not the ones who receive salvation, but the ones who remain in salvation. Not just the ones that allow Jesus to start saving them, but the ones that allow Jesus to finish saving him. John chapter 19, fast forward. We don't have a lot about Nicodemus. It has to be surmised. In chapter 19, I had listened to a former sermon where there was some discrepancy and, and read some other context of a, of a discrepancy. I, I actually, I, I'm going along with, with Pastor Dylan who pointed out, as I pointed out earlier in John chapter 3, that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night in secrecy. 
because he didn't want anybody to see him. He just wanted to serve Jesus in the safety of the sanctuary. In John chapter 19, the Bible says in verse 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was, notice that, you may want to underline that or highlight it, who was a disciple. John specifies this guy was a follower of Jesus. But secretly, for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. Jesus had already died on the cross. After what things? After the Son of Man was lifted up on the cross like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. After that happened, this disciple of Jesus came and he took down the body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Watch this, verse 39. Some of you are cheaters. You've already read ahead. Verse 39. Nicodemus also who earlier had come to Jesus by night. So I believe it's safe to say this was the same guy. The same guy that Jesus sat with in the dark and said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so shall the son of man be lifted up. It's very likely, I don't know this for a fact, but it's very likely this Pharisee, this ruler, who was under Caiaphas, the high priest of the Jews at that time. Nicodemus would have been under Caiaphas. It is quite likely that Nicodemus was at the cross under the authority of Caiaphas instead of Jesus. And he saw what Jesus said would happen. He heard him. He listened to the words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He heard the Son of Man declare, it is finished. He felt the earth shake. It's quite likely that he had access to the temple. It's probable that he saw the veil torn from top to bottom, signifying the release of the Holy Spirit to anyone who would call upon his name. Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Isn't it interesting that Nicodemus always believed that he could purchase his own salvation? So you can't purchase what's already been paid for. <laughs> you can only receive it. And we know that Joseph of Arimathea, he was an affluent Jew. He was a popular person. He was a man of position. He had money because he had a tomb. The Bible actually says he had hewn it out of rock all on his own. It had already been done. We know this guy was a disciple. Come on, I'm closing. But when it comes to Nicodemus, we just don't know. We don't know what Nicodemus chose. Did he choose Jesus? Did he follow? Did he go all in after the resurrection? Was he on the shore of the beach when the 500 saw him ascend and the angel came down and said, why are you still standing here? As you've seen him go, you shall see him return. Was he there? We don't know. We don't know. We do not know what Nicodemus chose. So here's where I close today. Do people know your choice? Not just that you show up on a Sunday which I'm for, I love that. It's kind of scary in here when you're not here, especially in the dark. Do people know your choice by the words that come out of your mouth? Do people know your choice by the way that you use your social media influence? Or do you sound just like everybody else? Do people know your choice by the way that you act? Here's a, here's a tough one. Do people know your choice by the way that you react? <laughs> Come on, it's pretty simple. Light, darkness, not a lot of gray area. It's not a cloudy day in heaven. Do people know your choice? They could. It could be very clear. Your surrender, your discipleship, your willingness to forsake all and follow him can be very clear. But is it? Here you go. Last question. You ready? Then we're going to pray. Ask yourself, am I all in or almost? Because it's the difference.
between light and darkness. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the characters in your scripture. Thank you for the stories that they tell. God, may we learn the lessons that they didn't learn so that we don't meet, repeat the mistakes in this generation. Come on, God, may we be about kingdom today. May we be about what you want. May we be more about eternity than we are earth. May we be more about divine than we are our own desires. God, would, would you help us today to choose you over ourselves, over our sin, over our society? Every follower of Jesus, before you're gathering your things, I, I just, again, examine light, darkness. Is there any area of my life that, that I need to let the light shine on, that God wants to expose, that he wants to heal, he wants to forgive. Come on, he wants to strengthen, he wants to use. Any area of my life that I need to fully surrender, I need to go all in. And finally today, as the church is praying, if you're in the room or you're watching online, have you fully surrendered your life to Jesus? Do you look like a follower or do you look like Nicodemus? Do people know your choice? Is it plain? Is it clear? Would you make it known today? Come on, would you confess Jesus out loud so that he'll confess you in heaven to his father? Would you receive salvation? If that's you, I wanna invite you to open your hands right where you are. We call this a posture of surrender. It's a positioning of yourself to let go of the things that you've been hanging on to and begin to receive the things that God has for you. If that's you, just open your hands right where you are. Church, I wanna invite you to join in heaven and pray with anybody that needs to make this profession today, that anybody that needs to confess Jesus as Lord, pray loud so that we'll be confident to pray out loud. Come on, I'm going to pray slowly, but I want you to pray with me. If that's you, say this with us. Let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen, where I've sinned, where I've been disobedient, where I've chosen darkness over light, religion over relationship. I believe you gave your life so I could live. You died on the cross. You shed your blood. You paid for my sin, but you were raised from the dead so I could be born again, made new, out of darkness, into light, used by you to build your kingdom. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. Take my life and make it yours. I surrender all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can you give God praise today?